Hi, I'm Amelia. Hi, I'm David. And this is The Thought Experiment. So, how'd you get here today? I took my bike to the Renee David Logan Center for Arts, Culture, <laughs> Drama, Theater. Right. And how did you know how to get here? Like, how did you know the route? How did you know how to get down here? Um, well, I pulled up Google Maps. Yeah. No, actually, a long time ago, I pulled up Google Maps, and then I just took the route. Route or route? What do you say? I think I say route. I actually, I think I change it depending on context. Yeah, I wonder if one is more high class or something. I feel, I feel like, like route. Really? Route. <laughs> um, but I learned the route over time, and it's, like, etched into my brain, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I just, I know how to ride a bike. I guess I learned when I was a kid. Right. Isn't that, the, the navigation, isn't that kind of amazing? Like, the fact that we know where we are, the fact that I'm not actively looking at the rest of this building right now, but I know exactly how I would get out. I know exactly what I would see, exactly what I would do. It's exactly. weird. It seems like a lot of memory like it, if you yeah. were to store that in a computer you know it would <laughs> take it's up a lot the whole of memory <laughs> yeah and you can do that in multiple locations i could drop you down in m- many places you've been before you know where you grew up all kinds of places you used to hang out in that you haven't been in potentially for years and you would still right. probably know the way yeah and there's probably strange associations too like smells and sounds and mm-hmm. it's not even just looking but yeah um, Well, enlighten me, Amelia. It sounds like you have something on your chest. (laughs) Well, so today what we're going to be talking about is how you have that internal map of where you are. How you know not just what you see in front of you, but where you are with relation to not just roots, but like the world around you. How you have a model Mm -hmm. of, of where you stand. And I think this is something we, you know, really easily take for granted because it's something we necessarily are, you know, using constantly. But it's actually incredibly impressive. I think you were just bringing up earlier how we haven't been able to get robots to do that very effectively. Yeah, like, um, I, well, there is that Boston Dynamics robot, which (laughs) is pretty uh, creepy, but I think that's kind of cheating. Like, they program it to do an obstacle course, you know. I, I don't know what that is. Oh, you can I, look I it up I've on YouTube. I think I've seen videos, but I, yeah. so that they just it looks like program a cheetah it to do the horse exact... Things. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. You know, I don't know. It could Maybe it's some AI training thing, but all I've seen from them are their YouTube clips where it, like, does some obstacle course. And it's mm. pretty creepy because <laughs> it looks like some Terminator thing. Mm. Uh, but we really haven't got those, like, android human robot servants things that, you know, people in the 20th century would... Um, w- dream about having like their idea was in 20 years there would be some robot butler that does all your chores for you but you know the best we have is like Roomba for practical yeah. navigation yeah. so so okay we, we don't I'm, I'm asking we don't currently have a robot that say if you set it loose in a maze and it figured out the right route could it like replicate that right um just n- nothing even comparable to how a human can like no, lo- mm-hmm. no familiar locations and uh, gain that kind of internal map, yeah. whatever it is we have inside. Hmm. I wonder if there's a neuroscience student somewhere near here who could <laughs> help elucidate some of these yes. concepts. 
All right. Well, I'm going to start. How is it that we orient ourselves in the world? How is it that we orient ourselves? So I'm going to start with one of the big famous studies in this field, which is the discovery of what is called a place cell. Um, So there was an experiment done in a rat, as many experiments are done, um, and it was a rat navigating. Again, common. Um, This was an experiment done by O'Keefe and Dostrovsky. It's a very famous experiment where they were recording from a single neuron as a rat moved around. And they, they, can, they have that precision yeah. with rats? Because yeah. they can, not in humans, though, in general, right? I mean, because we're not allowed to do brain surgery right. on humans. Okay. <laughs> Poor rats. Yeah. That's just, we the, can that's do, the like, definition of Sisyphus. You, like, cut into its brain and make it run around doing stuff for you. Well, and it never will Wait, achieve is, the is, thing. Isn't Sisyphus the one pushing the boulder up? The right, the rat is Sisyphus. It does the endless task until it Well, dies. the tasks are separate from the recording. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I don't think you get what I was saying. Well, okay, explain, explain then. <laughs> but if you force a rat to do something over and over, and mm-hmm. then it dies out after, I assume, right? Isn't that just life? Right. For all of us? I guess, but it, uh, <laughs> we're, we don't typically extend that cruelty to humans. But, you know, you eat meat, so... It's within your moral system to torture animals. Also, even when I was vegetarian, I was fine with animal research. We can do an animal research episode <laughs> later if you really have this many feelings about it. I don't. I just, um, I like the topic. I think it's pretty, because, well, it, okay, it does. Okay, we, we could genuinely do an episode of, on that we later. Yeah. Well. That'd be fun. Yeah, sorry for interrupting about that. <laughs> Let's, yes, uh, well, anyway, this rat, they were recording from a single neuron um, as it was moving around, freely moving. Um... And they found that this particular neuron they were recording from, it was a hippocampus, um, a hippocampal neuron, um, fired a bunch when the rat was in a particular area. And what was really important about this is that it wasn't specific to, you know, how the rat was approaching that area, what direction it was facing, anything else to the context. It was just when it was in that area. And so this was the first recording of a place cell. So the way these work um, that we know now is that you have many such cells that correspond to specific areas in space. So as you moved through this building, you knew where to go, you followed this pattern, and you had place cells firing as you moved through those locations, regardless of if you'd seen them only from different directions before, regardless of if the exact path you took was the you know, exact same steps, you still had place cells corresponding to the locations you were in. So uh, that seems hard to conceptualize for me because we're in a lot of places. We have that many cells to serve as place cells, or is it like a temporary thing? So that's an interesting question. Um, Obviously, I'm sure that we don't know everything about this, but... So you can form new sequences of place cells. Um, I hope so. As you, yeah, right. So as you explore new environments, you're getting new sequences of place cells, and you can record the way in which you know as those place cells are basically learning, and then you can look at how that changes. And there does seem to be drift after a time. After a while, they're no longer going to have the exact same cells corresponding to the exact same things. Whether right, our that, brains are pretty flexible. Yeah, whether that means you've completely lost all that information about the root or it's now represented in a different or more minimal way, 
I don't know if that's actually clear. Right. Um, there I, are there are place cells that like stick with you. Like there are some um, mm. that definitely like you learn something and they will just stay. Um, something that's weird to uh, me. Sorry, I, I should I should clarify there. I don't necessarily mean the exact same cell. I mean there will be a cell representing it. I believe that's sure. What we don't we need to make yeah. that a strong claim there. Mm-hmm. On uh, I, I was wondering. So for the rats, mm-hmm. say. You know, you have the same maze, but, like, you paint the color of the wall a different color. Would that place cell still know that that's the same place? Because we only get, hmm. like, you're saying that it was related only to the its actual location, not other things going on. Yeah. But we only get inputs through our senses, right? And it's not like we have some omniscient 3D location sense that gives <laughs> us a coordinate. Um so I'd be curious to know more about that, and it's okay if you don't have a yeah. solid answer. No, that's a very interesting question. I don't know that I have a solid answer because I think that kind of what you're pointing out is that the world is not a perfect replica of itself, and you will always have changes. Like, you know, when you walked yeah. through this building, it was not the exact same as when you walked through last time. There might have been a different person sitting at the front desk. There might have been different flyers on there the walls. There were different atom arrangements on the walls. <laughs> but perceptible differences. Yeah, you're um, right. And our and brain is still, good at filtering yeah, a lot of that out. You like, still think of it as the same location. So I think yeah. your question kind of boils down to a threshold question. How many things do you have to change and of what category for it to no longer register as the same place? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think right. that's a very interesting question. Yeah, like on the extreme, if you redecorated your entire home, you would probably feel lost. Well, if you change the walls around, if you change the physical structure. Sorry, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, you know, get rid of the foundation, build a whole new home in the same location. (laughs) It's like, okay, you're in. Your 3D coordinate isn't going to necessarily. But I'm sure if you put a little cute little painting on the wall, like rat-sized painting, Mm -hmm. the rat would still probably find its way through the maze. I mean, I guess we don't know. (laughs) Well, it's not just about if it finds its way through the maze because that's actually a different question. Okay. Its ability to do that um, is definitely influenced by being able to know its place in space, but they're they're kind of separate. Okay. Whether or not you have the same. That the rat could probably filter out some extraneous details as rats are constantly climbing around in tunnels to like eat. You know, well, you're, you're, you're talking about <laughs> behavioral metric, and mm-hmm. I'm talking about, like, a neural difference. Okay. Um, so whether or not the kind of place field, um, which is what we call the uh, area of space that is represented by a given place cell, um, whether or not the place field stays the same or mm-hmm. becomes, you know, very different in its representation, is retiled with different place cells or something – that's kind of a different question than how well it performs. It's how well the rat performs kind of relies on on that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm they, they are kind of separate. Well, let, let's talk more about place cells. Could you tell mm-hmm. me, so humans have place cells? Yeah. And a lot of them? Little of them? Quite a few. <laughs> okay. And do, um, I don't know, this is also strange questions, but how about for blind or deaf people? Do these affect place mm-hmm. cells? Are you aware? Oh, I, I vaguely remember learning something about this, and I kind of forgot. Actually, can we pause? I'm just going to look it up, and then we can cut out. Sure. <laughs> Amelia is looking it up. Yeah. So um, it does, in fact, turn out that um, the properties of place cells recorded from blind rats are very similar to the place cells recorded from sighted rats. So it seems like it doesn't make a huge difference, at least in rats. Yeah. Um, 
And you mentioned place fields. Could mm-hmm. you explain more about that? Yeah. So this is a I'm first going to explain the concept of a receptive field. A place field is a type of receptive field, but receptive fields are a really general concept in neuroscience that would be good to know, um, kind of going into our future discussions. When you think about, like, sensory neurons, um, they're responding to something particular in the environment. So maybe, you know, when you look at something, there are actually a lot of different neurons um, on your retina that are responsible for viewing certain portions of the environment, right? Like you're not taking in everything at once. There are certain portions, almost like think of it like a pixel. Um, One pixel of your environment may be processed by, you know, whatever first layer of neuron. Um, That pixel would be the receptive field of that neuron, which is processing it. Because that neuron doesn't see anything else. It's just processing that one little pixel. And as you go downstream, neurons are going to be processing bigger chunks of stuff, maybe a, a portion of skin that you can, you can feel the touch from, or maybe a chunk of your visual field, of a, a portion of what you're seeing. Um, any given neuron will not be responsible for all of your vision or all of your touch, um, but these neurons in whatever sensory stream are going to be responsible for a portion. We call that portion its receptive field. It's the portion of the field, whatever that field is, whether it's vision or place or touch, the portion of the field that a given neuron is receptive to. Um, Gotcha. Yeah. So when we talk about a place field, that's like a receptive field, but for a place cell. So it is the area of the world in which that place cell is responsible for. So when we said the rat, you know, had this place cell firing a bunch when it was in a particular area, the bounds of that particular area constitute the bounds of the place field. Okay. And do we know what shape it is? That's actually a really interesting question. Um, so one, we, we can pretty easily with this rat, you can record exactly where it fires while it's, you know, wandering around. Mm-hmm. And you can get a nice 2D blob. How does that extend into 3D? That's actually a very interesting well, question. Well, before that, let's talk about the 2D. You Is it a circle? Is it a square? Yeah, it's kind of a blob. Like, what like, is that? Like kind of circular. Right. Uh, of, has there been any research specifically into like what the region is? They're not, so it's not going to be the same for every cell. Um, and in fact, they very interestingly, they vary with respect to what you need them for. So place fields are going to be smaller when you really care about what's happening there. So if you have a really rewarding area, like a nice bush with berries for some foraging animal, their place fields around that bush with berries are going to be smaller than their place fields in other They're very modular, so it's hard to get a, like, each place field corresponds exactly to a spherical thing of a shape. Yeah, no, they're not going to be perfect. They're kind of rough. Um... And then also what, what makes them really interesting is they're very variable. Um, they're right. I'd say that's probably because our senses are variable to the, like. Well, they're, they're modulated for your use, not as an effect, but as, a, like, not a bug but a feature kind of thing. Right. Um, uh, but yeah. I, I'd say that it, I don't know if there could be some kind of brain that, like, got a very crisp 3D place cell just because. So the thing about that though is that like. The world changes so much and our senses are imprecise. I mean, yes, obviously you're going to have noise in it, but also that's not desirable. I mean, that looks nice to a mathematician or whatever, but that's not actually what's useful for navigating the world. Right. So I think this leads me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about um, with place cells. 
Did you want to do the 3D versus 2D? Yeah, a little bit. This plays into it. So, okay. like, how do place cells change as we need them to? Like I mentioned, you know, they change to be smaller and give you more information about really rewarding areas, and they get bigger and really bare areas. They're very, you know, versatile things. This is we another know how thing. to direct attention, and this is another way of, like, having I mean, important thing or not attention, not resource attention. allocation in efficient yeah, ways. Yeah, exactly. You're allocating more resources to the areas that are more interesting. The more granular your place fields, the more information you get about an area and exactly where you are within it. And this, I think, relates back to some of your earlier questions about, like, oh, how does this change? How are you preserving this exactly? We're not preserving this exactly. It is variable and intentionally so. It's going to change as you um, further navigate the environment and going to settle itself in different ways. It's not so perfectly it, static. Yeah, and it's not static and the perception is not really one-to-one -one with the world. Well, what do you mean by that? Um, maybe this is just coming from... Uh, I don't know, philosophical discussions and U random U Chicago core classes, but uh, it's kind of the phenomenology sense subject that we don't generally sense a one-to-one -one exact measurement of whatever the sense data is. Oh, yeah. We, we get this kind of modular experience-shaped, you know, a thing that's optimized for our use. It's not optimized for, like, an objective measurement of what's going on. Oh, yes. I mean, that's absolutely true with, with everything and especially with sensory um, kind of questions. I like think our job is to survive and get food and yeah. whatever. And so our job is not to like get a perfect 3D map of our surroundings. Like you're saying, we have the precision when we need it. Yes. If, yeah, yeah, yeah and, exactly. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yes. Not um, that it's some warped thing. Like yeah, yeah. Get if you're, if you're standing in an empty field, your understanding, like your precision matching to reality within that field is going to be less so than if you're standing in, a, I guess, a cafeteria might be a human version of that bush. Um, yeah. These feel like very important questions for um, engineers who are doing like self-driving cars or, or anything that's yeah. in that vein. And maybe I was uh, selling them short when I said that the Roomba is the best we have. <laughs> Although I don't... I don't know if any self-driving cars have actually, like, Well, made I think a they don't really need to know because they can just use, like, maps, right? Like Google Maps or something. Right. I, I don't, they don't, really, I, I don't actually know how self-driving cars work. They won't have a subjective. I mean, I mean they, well, they need to be able to move. Regardless of whether they do, they don't need the same kind of versatile ability to place themselves in the world. Or maybe that would help. I don't know. I mean, I think the reason why we can drive cars is because we have this adaptable sense of 3D. Like, I'd say that in a way, we kind of conceptualize the car as a bigger body. Mm -hmm. like Or when you're on a bike, that's probably an easier example. Like, you're aware of where the bike is. We can kind of extend ourselves like that. Um, so maybe something like that would... Maybe yeah, they're, they're taking mean, that approach. and Maybe. I, I would say that a lot of what you're doing when you're like... The, the parts of being on a bike or in a car that make you not die probably aren't knowing where your place is in terms of, like, remembering the route. That's important. Um, but are probably more to do with, like, quick visual response to danger or something like know. that. I mean, but think about uh, lane changing on the highway or something. Like, mm. you have this... Yeah. You kind of do have a map of, like, where the cars are around you. Uh, huh, that's an interesting point. It's pretty... I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's strange to think about because it's not like we evolved to drive cars. But yeah. it's something that I, I do 
wonder I, I is like why I don't aren't know we constantly... that that would be place cells the example you were talking about but I, that's an interesting yeah point. it yeah. could totally be a different mechanism but there is something there where it's like some it feels like we maybe yeah. have a spatial model. a representation of your relation with other objects yeah especially yeah. with like and it's unclear that that would be some innate thing um, because humans were not meant to go at like 80 miles an hour. But we were meant to <laughs> model moving objects. Right. And to and so model it, Maybe it's just others. an extension of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we I mean, don't it's, need to, it's, we're yeah. not making any claims, obviously. But. No, but I, I, I think that that actually is not like a very, like, I, I think the idea that we have evolved to deal with like other ideally semi-predictable moving objects around us, whether mm -hmm. that is other humans, whether that is prey. surviving an avalanche, whether that's prey or predator, like, there's... We, we do need to have a good model of that and where those things are relative to us, not just in a stable way of, like, I know that bush is over there, but also in a very constantly changing way as we go hunt in a pack or something. Yeah, um... I don't know if these are the same or different or, or it's much I, more complicated. I think they're different, but it is still a really interesting oh, thing. I was going to say something else. Oh, <laughs> new thing, new thing. Okay. Uh, just the um, – for Google Maps, the reason why it's e – well, it's not easy. It is a feat, but, <laughs> you know, it, it's static. Yeah. But when we evolve to be social animals, you need to have a map of 3D modeling all the other agents around you who are also always moving, like you said, the prey things and avalanches and – Mm -hmm. Um, to me, that f that feels like a different problem. It's not just like a map, but you need to be able to put agents in the map. Yeah, I I think yeah. I don't know how they're doing that in self driving cars, but it's a really interesting question of like if you you know know that there's a car behind you, right, and then it passes into your blind spot. You have an internal model of like, well, what was its speed? Mm -hmm. When do I expect to see it again? Like this knowledge that it's there even when you're not actively perceiving it, and not just knowledge, but a model of what it's going to do does seem very imperative for driving. And I, I don't know how they do that for self-driving cars. Um, or maybe they just see everything. Do they just have cameras everywhere? I think they have cameras everywhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a kind of inelegant solution, but a good, well, so a good one. A good cameras one. aren't enough to get 3D. You do need, you need to interpret them. Well, I mean, we're saying 3D. I don't know that this is 3D yet. Or not 3D. To but get like spatial awareness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. I wanted to add, uh, have you driven before? <laughs> yes. Not as like a... Okay, there's this um, funny thing. So could you tell me, like, pretend that you're holding a steering wheel? Yeah. You're in a car on the highway oh, and you I need to change lanes? Yeah. Like, what's the motion? I think you know. I think I know what you're trying to get. You're trying to get me to just turn and then not turn back. <laughs> yeah. I want to turn back. I've heard this. I know this. Oh, my God. You can't get a neuroscience Can't get anything any past me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of people no, do forget cool. to do that. Yeah, except when you're actually in the car. And so... Uh, that that seems that that goes along with that all of this 3D and spatial awareness. Well, I don't want to use 3D because Wait, whatever yeah. two point whatever D uh, <laughs> is under the surface, and it's not often at the it's not at the front of our mind when we're changing lanes. You just change lanes because you know how to change lanes, and mm -hmm. and you feel like once you're done going right, okay, you're gonna bring it back yeah. the other way. Yeah, I do. I find this a fun topic because when I was learning to drive, my dad taught me to drive. I didn't go to like a driving school or anything. And I asked him like so many dumb questions in that vein that I was like exactly what velocity at which like if I brake abruptly, will my motion turn into rotation and I'll flip over? Like at exactly what point will I have to turn this? Like wh what angle should the steering wheel be? And he's like, you just figure it out. Like Yeah, you just feel it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Although that still does scare me sometimes. Like the idea that if you break suddenly you're gonna flip. Like I, I know it's not gonna happen realistically, but like why would you oh like the back is going faster than the front yeah. and then it Yeah. But why would it go up? You would just well, like, you know, like physics problems. If you stop something too abruptly, the horizontal motion it, like can turn into rotational motion. I'm not sure like, why it would if flip, it has like, though. Have you not done those like physics problems where they're like, at what point does it? Okay, maybe this was just my physics class got me scared of driving. No, but we had a lot we of did, problems like, where it's driving like, on an incline. Where like, what's the stuff on a racetrack that'll? We did. It. We had like a weird amount of problems. I feel like, or maybe I was just focusing on them. Whereas, like, at what point, if you know, you have this shape with an angle and you abruptly stop it, will the force change? <laughs> like, if the force is applied at this point, and like, at, sorry, I'm making <laughs> motions, and this very is weirdly, audio, weirdly specific problems here. Like, like at, at what, what point yeah. will a knife pierce a human? How, how much? Flesh? How much force? <laughs> okay. We also did like problems, and you know, at what point? Well, we dissected pigs in biology, but no, um, nothing gruesome in physics for us. It wasn't gruesome. It were just blocks. There were blocks flipping over. But then, as I was learning to drive, all I could think about was those blocks flipping over because the yeah. force turned to rotational motion. I, I am scared of driving, but the way I'm not scared is I just do it and then don't think about the fact <laughs> I, that I'm I like driving. The way I'm not scared well, is that I just do it. Because I was gonna say in the self-driving thing, like. I was going to say, wow, it's crazy that us humans, we could just adapt to driving around these metal boxes and we don't kill each other all the time. But then I was like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, do we kill do each kill each other. Yeah, all the time. exactly. I think it's going to be one it's of just those things. People accept it. Yeah, it's like, you know how we like look back on when they put like cocaine and cough medicine and we're like, that was crazy? I think people are going to look back on driving and be like, well, that was crazy that we ever did that. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think would overtake it? Like, really? Self driving cars. Yeah. Also, ideally, like, some better public transit, but I think more realistically self-driving cars. Huh. Well, I feel like there's been hype around them for a while. Mm-hmm. But there's been but a lot of improvement, too. I mean, you see, like, slow yeah. integration of it into, like, you know, like, whatever, Teslas can That's have true. their little my, self-driving mode for a bit. Yeah. My family has a car where it it will beep at you if you go too far into the yeah. lanes and, it's and starting it'll to be integrated. adjust your steering wheel and then... Uh, I think it'll take a long time before we yeah. actually trust it. Like, and before you can have a car that is driving without a licensed driver in the driver's seat. Um, just Very because, interesting field to get into, by the way, yeah. if you want to work into, like, technological trust. Because that's, <laughs> yeah. that is the biggest thing. I mean, because it'll even be more dangerous, hopefully one day, to drive manually than use the automatic. Oh, for sure. But I think Just people... Just like plane autopilot is safer, you know. But I think people will still, um, like, even once we pass that threshold, we're still going to require drivers um, for a little bit after that threshold just because, one, we're scared of things that aren't us. Like, we don't like being out of control. And then, two, I think that the fact that the errors that AI makes are unintuitive is scary to us. The errors that human drivers make make sense to us. Because, you know, it's your reaction time just wasn't fast enough or you tried to avoid something and you just went too far. The kinds of errors that AI tends to make are going to be weirder. And that'll be scarier, I feel like. Hmm. I, yeah, this is something that you believe in a lot, the weird AI errors. I mean, if you look at the way AI makes mistakes, it makes mistakes in somewhat unintuitive ways. Yeah, but it's also not human, so. I mean, yes, but I th- I, I'm, I'm just saying I think we find that scary, like as a species. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done that self-driving moral video game, moral dilemma video game? It's like... No, what's that? Like, like who would you kill? Yeah, <laughs> okay. it's like an entire video game about that. <laughs> um, no, they, they make it pretty hard. It's like, 
three loving family family members or two diplomats. Do you have to decide at the actual rate? Lives, you know, whatever. Like, do you have to decide like at the actual rate you would if you were like driving? Um, because <laughs> that, like that's too fast. This might actually just be a trolley simulator game. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. No, I mean it's pretty fast, but you. I don't actually know if it's being used or if it was just a dumb joke. It's probably a joke, but it's just meant to do, like, you see a percentage at the end, like, which group of people was chosen more often. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of a moral compass thing. Okay. But, of course, it's like, oh, 60% of people would have killed this guy, so sucks to suck, you know, we're going to veer into you to save the other person. Great. But I don't is, know. Is of it, course, is it like is... voting? Like everyone votes and then yeah. Oh, I see. But it, it's just records other players' data. Okay. Um, it was something. What was I gonna say? It's funny to me. It's like the first thing people go to when they do this is like, now a computer will have to make these decisions. How ter- terrible! Like people aren't constantly killing innocent people all day. Yeah. It's just we're used to that. So yeah, yeah. Um, terrible things will probably keep happening. But well, and I think also with with people, you can have the excuse of it just happened so fast. I wasn't thinking, um, or like I just I just instinctively I just did this. I don't even know what I was thinking. You can't have that with an AI. It's yeah. it's gonna make a decision. Yeah, and AI it's, it's, ethics. That's I a mean, whole. <laughs> yeah, we we very post hoc adjust or rationalize our decisions and or yeah, no matter what, yeah. you would have made the right choice. Oh, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of excuses or just you know mistakes. But yeah, sorry, we've gotten a little a little off topic, um, but this was fun. I, I kind of want to look at that game. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and put it in the show notes mm-hmm. if I remember. It may just be a trolley simulator. Um, it kind of sounds like it. Yeah, it all, but it is a very tech people thing to be like, let's crowdsource which kind of person should we kill more well, often. The, I mean, <laughs> d- can you, anyone can just play this game like however many times you want. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just a video game. Yeah, I mean, they can't be using that for real decisions. But, it, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll look it up because... That does I'm, seem cool. I want to play. Um, what happened to all those crowdsourcing things? I feel like there was... There when I was younger, it was really hyped up, like, protein folding games. You remember those? No. It was... I don't know if it, I did that. Any, like, really hard computational problem, it's like, if you had enough computers working on it, then you could yeah. make some progress. Oh, I see what you mean. But yeah. I think they kind of fell off. Like, there was an yeah. era when... Uh, these were quite hyped in the popular science uh, sphere. I mean, I, I feel like there's still some crowdsourcing things, but I think we've we've gotten better at technology. So maybe there's a little less need. Yeah. Or they just need to make the games more fun. It's like <laughs> I, I remember going on that protein folding one, and it was like impossible to look at. <laughs> it was like a terrible user interface. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. It's literally like organic chemistry, which is... Hard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think I saw a poster recently that was kind of about using AI for predicting protein folding. And I don't know. There was like a big um, thing about yeah. that, actually. Yeah. It, there was I, a big thing in the news, and I totally I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious about those things because it's like it's a hard problem. I mean, People yeah. just try and throw AI. I mean, I'm if it works, it works. Well, I mean, we AI is a baby. Of course we're going to throw it at everything. We've got to see how it does. I'm not sure it's a baby. It's, well, I mean, it's new. It's new, and we don't fully understand it. I think so. it could be that we're plateauing in terms of like data, um, data metrics, and our computational power in terms of this kind of AI. It also could be. That Wait, what do you mean by this kind? The neural net, big neural nets. Okay. I know there's a lot of different kinds of them, but mm. um, 
like these have been around since 2013-ish when we got a lot of the big da- big And tech we've been making algorithms. huge strides, no? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I we definitely have, but it's just a question of whether it's will continue exponentially or whether it's like, you know, like uh what's a good one? I don't know, like uh pixels on a monitor. Like I'm pretty sure we're done getting like higher really definition televisions. Right. Because yeah. we so we're good. I don't I even mean, I think the thing with AI though is even if we don't have very much further development in like actual AI, we still haven't used it to its fullest extent. Like we haven't applied it to every field. There are plenty of plenty of fields that are, you know, not there yet and well, still I have will, AI I can trust those money hungry AI folks to get on it. But I, mean, I, I, I don't I, know if like selling your stuff to researchers is like the way to make money in AI. Well, maybe some money if it pops off. I mean, maybe, but I feel like you have demographic. If, if your goal is to make money, there are better demographics to target. Yeah, I guess so. Um, we were. We, yeah, and yeah. just to be clear, I'm not talking about all AI. I'm talking about specifically the like big data era. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we oh, were oh, talking you, about. You still think <laughs> that there are like architectural changes we can make even within neural nets? Are you saying um, this might not be the mathematical model of like an AI that surpasses whatever I see. A, that reaches a general intelligence? Okay. It also might not be the most useful kind of AI. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes technologies come along where it's like like the telegram. It's like we could keep optimizing the telegram, but then it's like, well, <laughs> that's interesting. what are we doing? I here? mean, that's Like I guess possible. we had facts. Is that kind of like a telegram? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> and then now that's all gone. So I don't know. Or it could be that these things keep doubling and doubling and get it, and then they're just powerful enough to yeah. do well, really I guess smart we'll things. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we can put some money down yeah, on Yeah, I think we definitely haven't exhausted possibilities for sure. My, There's my a lot more. My instinct is whenever it's as hyped and and to be fair, I mean, like, like crypto or Web3 or all these things in the tech space, whenever something is that hyped, it makes it smell a little bit to me. But mm. I am hopeful. Anyway, we of course we get into AI yes. on the 3D, 3D <laughs> yes. episode. Yes, all right. We're, we, okay, we were at cars. We were at spatial understanding of the world. And I was about to talk about the um, yeah versatility of place cells, right? Another kind of versatility is how they map 3D space. So, you know, you and I, as the kind of animals we are, are not traversing a large amount of 3D space very often. Um, we may walk up and down stairs, but for the most part, um, and especially in an ancestral environments when we did not necessarily have multi-story buildings, um, most of our traversal was on largely flat or slight inclines, right? On one plane. I'm going to say that we're talking about like a manifold, not like a literal plane. Um, sure. As in, I mean... <laughs> you don't okay. need to bring topology into this, but okay. What I mean is like... Um, you know, if you're walking up a hill and then down a hill, but you're not really, like, noticing that a ton or you're not, like, climbing, I'm going to treat that as, like, one surface, right? You're, you're mapping how you move on that right. surface. Like, That's we're all not... on Mobius strips. Well, <laughs> no. Um, it's that... That's not like real 3D motion. Like, yes, you are technically moving in a vertical plane, but um, there's a difference between that and, like, climbing off the ground. You know what I mean? I'm not sure, but let's just move on and maybe I'll get an intuition. (laughs) Well, okay. Um, We're mostly moving on one plane, and a lot of animals are largely moving on one plane. Um, But that's not true of all animals. Like, take flying. Spiders. Spiders also. Um, Are they animals? 
Insects are yes, animals? Yes, yes. I don't even know. <laughs> it's been a long time since <laughs> eighth go grade back biology. To like, yeah, middle school bio. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there's this spider. Okay, this is going to sound evil. There's a spider on my building's railing. It's really big. It, mm-hmm. It's actually, it's nice. And it helps with my fear of insects to like oh, get close good. to it. Yeah. But I've like, I threw a stick and like broke half its web. Why'd you do that? I don't know. Cause I I'm thought it was like a, God. it was a friend helping you get over your fears. Well, but, and it's crazy. It builds back the entire structure and like, 20 minutes. Yeah. It's so wild. the way I see it, I'm giving them like free exercise. I don't know if that's really something good that they him. desire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I am glad that my life is not eating raw, captured, de- decomposing things that fly <laughs> into sticky things that I secrete. I'm sure the spider d- thinks your dinner is just as gross. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it. <laughs> it's just hard to imagine doing that. No, I mean, I, that would be hard for a human to imagine. Yeah, but their, whatever their nervous system, if they even have one, is doing, that thing is a well-oiled machine. <laughs> yep, they're good. Anyway, um, and, and they move up and down. And they move up and down. On and anything. Yeah, although I, th- that's an interesting question because they're kind of, I mean, the, the webs are usually on one plane, which is kind of interesting. But um, wait, with respect to this That's question. true. They don't build uh, manifolds. Or, no, unless a plane is it a is, manifold. It is. It is. <laughs> okay. Um, well, anyway. A Taurus, a. Those are the only ones I know. Are, are we. Th- let's move Sphere. on from that choice of wording. I regret that. Um, okay. I, the, I, I don't have any um, particular knowledge of spiders, but what it's going to bring up was bats. Um, bats. They're flying. Um, and so you can look at place fields for bats in three dimensions, and you can find interesting three-dimensional shapes, right? And so then you have the question, what about animals that don't move in three dimensions? How will they map three, or that don't normally move in three dimensions? How will they end up mapping three dimensions if you make them move in three dimensions? So if we took that rat from the first study and we had it move around vertically as well, how would it map it? Would it map in these nice um, kind of well-spaced out, spherical adjacent um, Mm-hmm. place fields kind of like bats or is it going to be something different so one study that explored this did exactly that they took a rat and they gave it this kind of like pegboard structure um, it's going to be like they put a jetpack on it, <laughs> it <laughs> they off. did not quite have the budget for that um also it, it kind of matters that the rat's freely moving and not just being shuttled along well this. maybe it could have like little well, the cheese on both sides <laughs> that like I guess, yeah. Um, Well, they didn't do that. Instead, they had a rat kind of climbing through a pegboard. And what they found was that the place fields the rat had while on the ground just became elongated in the the vertical dimension um, for the most part to include. Like cone-shaped? Like um, like cylinder, cylinder kind of. um, Well, that makes sense. Except, you know, tapers off at the ends. Um, Okay. But... A later experiment kind of had the question of, like, well, a pegboard, the rat is still, like, like flat. By the way, I don't know so, what a pegboard is. Are you talking about the thing like where, like, a literal, like board with they drop pegs. the balls down and it makes a normal curve? Yeah, kind of like that. And so the rat can climb and move. But whenever it's climbing and moving, it's still, like, its body is mostly parallel to the ground. Okay. Because so it's, it's clambering on little pegs and stuff. I don't. I don't actually know like deeply what the rat yeah. like clambering skills are, but what I know is that it was mostly like parallel to the ground as it was moving. So something like a fire escape 
up a building. Like it's climbing yeah. up, but there's flat areas where. Well, like can... if you had to climb a pegboard, right? You wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. You how wouldn't a go rat... sideways. Is a pegboard like literally it grabs on like it's doing American Ninja <laughs> Warrior? I don't. Like, I don't think it stunts. can. No, it's not going. It's not like standing up and like. Yeah. It's got like four little legs. It's well, just moving on its four little. But it's legs. it's jumping from peg to peg. I, I don't know if connected. one would call it, like, jumping or scurrying or moving. I don't really know deeply how rat, like, Maybe the anatomy. pegs are just close enough where it can kind of... Yeah. Without jumping. Sure. Something like that. Because that... that oh, one, I, can, I can pull up a picture. In of terms it. of animal ethics, that is more than ethical. That's giving the rat, fun, like... yeah. Hold on. Acrobatic uh, lessons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a picture of it. <laughs> okay. Um, man, these experiments are something. Mm-hmm. Would you rather be the rat person or the monkey person? If you had to, like, like if I were a rat or monkey, or no, like studying. the someone who prepares rats or monkeys to for studying. Monkeys. Okay. Because you can get more interesting behavior out of them. Um. Did they have pictures of it in this paper? They say pegboard. Okay, they have diagrams. So this is what the pegboard looked like. Okay. It looks like a pegboard. Yeah, it's just it, a board with pegs. A rat can climb up this? <laughs> okay, it looks like... <laughs> they don't have pictures of the rats climbing, I don't think, which is unfortunate, yeah. but we I take mean, their word for it. Rats can climb up that. Okay. Well, it looks exactly like what you'd picture if you thought of a pegboard. Yeah. My guess is maybe it's just close enough to where they don't have to, like, do, like, uh, gymnastics. Yeah. yeah, we can link the paper and people can go look at the pegboard and make their own conclusions about how a rat would enjoy that. Sure. Um, but, so the rat is not oriented like a bat flying up and down. Yeah, it exactly. It is oriented like a rat. It's, it's oriented like a rat. Um, or maybe and so, a cat that was in a hat. Okay. That took, <laughs> was sat. Are you are you sitting on the cat? <laughs> or is the no, cat the cat sitting? was sat. Under a hat. Under a hat. Okay. Um, yes, that is also that. an orientation. <laughs> that is also an orientation parallel to the ground. Good job. Um, and so... Then, um, yeah, we're going a little crazy here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there was the people who were like, hold on. Okay. It get, just gets big cylinders, but the rat is also parallel at each point. So it's yeah. just going to be like a stack of cylinders. Well, what they were, okay. What they were saying cells. is, is that really, is, is it that the play cells for an animal which moves horizontally are different because it's, you know, just fundamentally not good at 3D? Like, the argument, if the place cells are just elongated every time a rat moves into 3D, then what you're saying is place cells shape, the, the receptive fields of place or the place fields, mm-hmm. um, are kind of determined by something evolutionary in the animal, right? An animal that moves in 3D is going to have re- place fields that are adapted to 3D, and an animal that doesn't won't. And will instead just do this elongation instead of um, actually having kind of spherical-ish things that look like they're meant to be in 3D. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the claim of like if if it's elongating, then it's kind of something inherent. It's something about how the rat evolved. And another study said, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's because this isn't deeply three D enough for that rat, because it's parallel to the ground on this pegboard. It's it's still it kind needs of a like pack. yeah, or a grid, a three dimensional grid. Ooh. And so what they did. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. So what they did is they built kind of this big three-dimensional structure. Um, jungle gym. Yeah, kind of like a jungle gym, exactly, um, that the rat could climb in. And as it climbed, it would move its orientation and switch over and, ex- it, you know, 
really move in 3D. Yeah. Not just on this pegboard that is kind of one plane of existence anyway, and it's all per- parallel to the ground, but a really deeply 3D structure where it was moving in all directions and changing orientation. And when they did that, they found that the place fields were more like the bat place fields. Really? Yeah. So what that means is that it's not something fundamental. The place fields aren't just 2D-like because rats are 2D-like. They are able to adapt to the environment and how you're using it. So if the rat is really moving in 3D space, which is kind of unusual for a rat, its place fields become really 3D, like the bat place fields, Um, which I think, I mean, that's that's a really cool result. That's just how adaptable our brains are. Yeah, Um, like if there was some uh, being that could warp our world into like some strange shape, topological shape, we would still probably be able to navigate around. Ooh, that's very speculative. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, if the rat can do it, I'd hope we can. Well, I mean, but we probably have a similar structure to them anyway. I mean, rats do still exist in 3D. They just don't usually move in 3D. I, mean, th- I, th- I think it's more akin to if somebody gave us jetpacks. Yeah, or like think about the astronauts in the ISS. Yeah, like that, yeah. It's, they are moving in 3D, and it might just be that their way of moving is very different, and they just learn to cope with that. But my mm-hmm. guess is that they know their way around the station. Yeah, yeah, you get more of yeah, a But the station of, is kind of flat, so I don't know. Well, but they are, I mean, I think that's a great example because, I mean, I don't know how big it is, but they are able to, like, have a different mapping, like, in that third dimension that we don't normally have. Like, I'm not normally mapping how the ceiling, like, differs from where I'm standing below it and, like, the differences in space as you go up to it. But if you're in space and not experiencing normal gravity, maybe you do. And maybe that mm-hmm. has to do with the play cells. I think that would be interesting. So, I mean, we can't look at their neural responses, but that would be cool. I mean, yeah, they're, they are highly studied, but not the individual neurons. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to approve brain surgery for that. But um, I hope they get less invasive brain surgery. We could uh, stand to benefit. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask, let me know if there's more on the place cell stuff you want to talk about, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the spatial reasoning, which may be more of a psychological yeah. topic. And sure. I, I did have one other thing I wanted to sure. go over. Which is, how do place cells do that? Yeah, I don't... And is it really one neuron that they're measuring? A place cell is one neuron, yeah. How are... Yeah, that's also very strange to me that a neuron can just be that good. Normally, it would be like, yeah. oh, a clump of neurons does this. No, or so an a area. single neuron is just able to do neuron. that. <laughs> so I'm going to go into just a brief overview of kind of how. And I mean, the, the very short answer is we don't really know. But we do know some of the factors. I mean, it got a billion, billions of years to learn in every animal. Well, I mean, yeah, that's just, any interesting neuroscience can be boiled <laughs> down to evolution. Kind of made it favorable evolution for sure. Did it. Yeah, evolution did that's it, my but <laughs> but how does it actually come together? And so, in order to talk about that, I'm going to mention a few other cell types, which are kind of kind of the building blocks of place cells, but I think I want to be, just kind of have a little caveat there before I start talking about it and say that the directionality of this conversation is not as clear as it's often made out to be, right? Um, I can call these cells the building blocks, but ultimately, while these cells feed information into place cells, place cells also feed information in back to them. It's not a clear linear picture that we have deciphered or anything. This is a, a messy interconnected picture. Um, So it's not the pure linear that sometimes it's made out to be. But there are other cell types that kind of have somewhat simpler things 
that makes sense as deeply related to place cells feed a lot of information into place cells. And that, you know, they, they can kind of make it so that place cells are able to do what they're able to do, which is kind of crazy that place cells can do that. Um, so the biggest of these types that is talked about is grid cells. So I have a little picture pulled up for you. Um, not that that helps anyone else in this conversation. But grid cells um, are cells which fire in predictable increments across the environment. So as you can see in this picture... Um, Sorry, let's... Cells are neurons? Yes. Environment is the brain environment? No, or like, like the, the physical environment? environment. The physical environment. Okay. Um, so how, how are they firing? So while the place cells responded by firing a bunch in like one particular area, what grid cells do is they fire a bunch in predictable intervals. So if spatial you... Spatial intervals? Spatial Just intervals. like we have yeah. like the clock cells, which do time yeah. things. Um, so they fire in spatial intervals in predictable patterns. So I'm showing a picture right now, which uh, I can put that somewhere in show notes, but... Um, it looks like a... It's grid, a patterned a grid. grid. Yeah, a patterned grid. And if you look closely, it looks kind of kind of almost like a soccer ball, like it's a hexagonal pattern. Yeah. Um, each one has, you know, six. Maybe I'm hungry, but it does look like cookies and cream. I don't see that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. I think you're just hungry. But yeah, yeah it's, it's this, this regularly spaced pattern. And so what grid cells do is that that's literally all they do. There are some that have bigger patterns that are more spaced out, some that have finer patterns. Um, and if you have a bunch of patterns like that, and you know, you know, this grid cell has this distance between its little hexagonal dots, and this grid cell has whatever other distance, and you have multiple grid cells firing because you're going to, you can work out from that, so where am I? Wait, each grid cell fires in this pattern in an environment? Y yes, oh yeah. So this, gosh, the, the image that I'm showing you with it's all like these computational. little clumps, yeah, I mean, that's what the brain is doing. It's computing. Okay, I thought that this was a map of a bunch of cells no. firing in a No, 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 no. This, okay. I should have clarified, yeah. No, so, no, you're, you're good. It's just uh, crazy that one neuron is yeah. this could. A single cell. Uh, don't we cell. need, like, millions of neurons or to do, like, language? But <laughs> We can do this, this. I guess this is fundamental, but one neuron I, I can do I don't know this. that we know deeply what's happening with language, but... Um, it's not like we have the apple neuron, you know, that fires when apple is said. You know, interestingly... <laughs> Um, this is a, a bit of a side note, but there are place cells that, so we're talking about spatial place cells and I don't want to get people too confused, but there are also place cells in the hippocampus, um, that respond to certain concepts. So one of the ones they did, um, in humans, um, was, that's all, like famously referenced and cause it's kind of funny. Um, you have a Jennifer Aniston neuron in your brain. Like, you can pick any famous person, but I, I don't know. They picked her. Um, and whether her name is written out, whether it's an image of her, whether it's anything, that neuron will fire in recognition to that particular celebrity. Um, and similarly, I think the same is true of a concept like Apple. Whether it's an image of an apple or the word apple, you'll have a recognition. Wow. That's kind of a tangent. That's kind of And that's not language itself. Right. That's, that's something different. Like you've already kind of done the processing. Of right, it. more like items or something. Yeah, yeah. Because I couldn't do like independence and then the independence concept neuron would fire like we have these vague concepts which really are yeah that's interesting i mean i i don't know i don't know if they've done i mean we can't even that. nail down a definition for that if our brains knew then that would be i mean 
I don't think you have to have a strict like a, a definition semantically is different than recognition of a concept. Right. That's I what mean, I, I mean. I don't know. This is all speculative. I mean, maybe yeah. someone's done something like this, but I've never heard of it. Also, wait, how did they know we can't even measure the one neuron accuracy? How'd they get the Jennifer Aniston? We thing? can. Um in so this is just a like mechanisms tangent, but um in patients with epilepsy, um, or anyone who's going to have like brain surgery where they need to record, mm-hmm. they have a period of recording to see like, oh, which neurons are the problem neurons that maybe we need to like ablate or whatever. I don't know, medical things. Um, and while they're doing that recording, if you're getting that um, done for medical reasons, you're pretty likely to have some neuroscientists show up and go, hey, while they're recording, can we do some studies? A little, little sleazy, but uh, <laughs> I mean, they do It's what all they consensual. Do. There are all kinds of regulations about, like, you know, who can participate in studies. There's a ton of ethical boards and whatever. Um, but it's in cases where you have to record anyway for medical reasoning yeah. reasons. You can no, also, I don't. I don't have yeah. an ethical problem. <laughs> it just is funny. It's like it is the vultures yeah. fly around. I mean, there aren't that many opportunities to record from a human brain. Yeah, and I'm glad um, that they record. And if it has to happen for medical reasons, so anyway. at least epileptic people have a Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Maybe the rest of us don't. I don't know. Well, they have um, special brains. Perhaps. Um, I, I think the, the the kind of assumption is that this generalizes, but maybe not. Who knows? Um, but yes, so grid cells are a single cell um, that is kind of tiling the environment um, and yeah. and working as a spatial ruler. Imagine if you're walking around a room, it would go like on, off, on, off, yeah, on at exactly. specific yeah. regiments. And so if you have a bunch of those, all with different lengths of their rulers, you can do the math yeah. from which ones are firing and which ones aren't to know exactly where you are in that space. Yeah, and it's probably some really hard problem like would take a computer a long time but since the neurons are they know what to do i don't know that it's that hard like if i if i gave this problem to you as a math problem like you could work it out um, for a finite like pretty nicely bounded space just given grid cells yeah. and what's firing uh, i guess it would be like uh like if you imagine laying them all out on translucent paper, like which ones overlap or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, maybe it's not so yeah. that hard. It's not that bad. But it, yeah. But it's still it's still cool math that your brain is doing. A lot of what your brain's doing is cool math. Um, and then... I'm glad that they know so much about place cells. This has been in neuroscience for a long time. It's pretty much in like yeah. the canon. I mean, yeah. I mean, for the scale of neuroscience, it's temporally right. a lot more condensed than other fields because it's newer, but I mean... I'm curious, maybe another episode we should do is on a temporal reasoning in our brains oh yeah not just good. spatial yeah uh, there's some cool stuff in there it um, seems like that they have a lot more on this than a lot of other subjects in neuroscience i i mean i, I mean, don't from know the 70s getting place cells you have, the you have other cool stuff from quite i mean we, we can do more well I'll, don't Maybe diss neuroscience just, <laughs> yet i have more stuff to tell you okay no yeah the senses we're, we're good yeah, at the senses we're good too. at the senses especially vision where so like I don't know. Low level is not even the right word, but it's like that fundamental stuff. Like we need an idea of space. We need an idea of time. We need to be able to sense stuff. Mm-hmm. The higher level, which is like what people think about brains do. That oh, is still- yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say generally we're, we're we don't have the phenomenological like we can't reason about the internal from the external, like just metaphysically. Um, so instead we have the beginnings, the stimulus and the end, the behavior. 
And I think there's a lot of, you know, working inwards from either end, right? Like there's a lot of cool stuff in like motion. How do you move? How does the brain cause yeah. mo movement? And that's kind of on the behavioral, like right before behavior end. And then I think there's a lot of interpretation of like how is sensory data processed? And that's kind of on the, you know, from the stimulus end. And then there's a lot of cool work trying to like connect these things a little bit, but somewhere in between those is all that higher level stuff you're talking about. And that's a lot harder to access. Right, because it's not, I mean, we don't even have evidence, like, say it's a creativity thing. How does it, how is it that people can just come up with an idea on a fly for a song or something? Like, people will say, oh, it just came to me. Oh, I just had a burst of inspiration. Yeah. Where it's like, you don't even know. It's all in turn. Yeah. Like, there's not even an external behavior. There's a behavior. lot of processing happening that, like, ultimately everything is from stimulus to behavior. But there's a lot of processing that doesn't feel like there is a clear, like... Well, yeah, I mean, salient it, stimulus. You could say it's from it. stimulus to behavior, but it's also the eighteen plus compounding years of stimulus and also or, stimulus that's not just direct sensory. It's the stimulus yeah. that's processed into ideas that are somehow. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's happening that we don't deeply understand exactly what that pathway is. Yeah, um, but. Yes. So it's not just like, oh, I saw a blue recycling bin. So then the idea came to me to do something, you know. Sometimes it is. Right. It's why people like go out and do things for ideas. Right? Like the stereotype, like you're just sitting in your room trying to come up with ideas and you can't do anything and then you go and like take a walk or something and then you get it. Although I mean that's just sort of a typical anecdote. That's not really anything <laughs> deeply scientific. No, I'm sure there's something there. Probably. Well, I, I gotta start I gotta change my phrases. When I say I'm sure, that means <laughs> I would not be surprised, yeah. but it's, I'm not trying to, like, <laughs> uh, sound too confident about any of this. Um, was there more you wanted to touch on with the grid cell stuff? But it sounds... Yeah, I think that was very the big neat. thing. Like, things in neuroscience usually aren't this neat, I think. Yeah, it's a really so, cool one. I think it's a very fun one. There are some other cells It's not like it's a perfect grid or anything, um, but it, it works. It's a pretty good grid, yeah. And so... Uh, Tell me about the modularity. How do the grids play into that? Are there would it be the grids of varying size and? I don't think that the grid cells or like the grids themselves need to be as versatile as the place cells or the place. Yeah, field. I guess I'm asking is like how would the versatility come if say the grid cells are fixed in their resolution? So. I'm going to give you an answer, which is kind of what I think is probably true, but I just want to preface this with, like, I don't know that we 100% know the relationship between grid cells and place cells. I'm framing it like the grid cells inform the place cells, and there's a lot of evidence of connections, like, basically information going from grid cells to place cells. There's also evidence of information going the other direction. It's not entirely clear. Right. This is correlation. Right. Let's not um, oversimplify. It's always more yeah, complicated yeah. in neuroscience. But what I would say is that... Um, Mathematically, like, you can kind of think of a grid cell like the, the background ruler um, and that the versatility of something like a place field um, can kind of be augmented independently with viewing of these grids as just, like, the, the rulers by which you decide. And so you can keep your ruler constant and change your mm -hmm. actual place field, um, at least in theory. I don't, I don't, I don't actually know. Right, I mean, that would make sense to me. Like, our modularity is not infinite. Like, we, I can't conceptualize where Europe is right now, and I also can't <laughs> conceptualize, like, 
you know, microscopic things. And that's absurd, but even on a level greater yeah. than microscopic. We and have so, a very practical level. Like, you can conceptualize what it would look like to walk out into the hallway or yeah, even no. walk back to your apartment, but not necessarily to get to Europe. Yeah, and it could just be literally, like, the brain is activating more place cells or allocating more resources. It might not not just be that... Well, I mean, th- this is a little specific and nitpicky, but I don't think you have a way to travel to Europe where you're actively involved in all of it. Like, boat, plane, whatever, like, you're... Yeah, I wasn't, you're not I wasn't talking about the Europe space. thing. I was talking about uh, just modularity. In general, oh, yeah. How, like, uh, d- just that it doesn't need to be as, like, a computer zooming in on Google Maps, like... We don't really have that. We have, like, more focus time. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's not the scale that's Same thing with how, how we can learn effectively is when you're in class, you're not constantly paying attention to, like, the clock. Well, some people are paying attention to the clock ticking. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, a, a, attention attention, attention yeah. is a whole new... We, we'll do an episode on attention for sure. Um, um, but I'd say that this is some kind of spatial attention. You You kind of bristled when I said that because uh, attention has a neuroscience definition, but I'm talking about it from a layman's perspective of your brain knows when to put quote-unquote attention spatially of like this is my room I need to know where things are versus we're on I'm on a broad open path I don't need to like memorize where every tree yeah there is you know modulation of what kind of specificity of information you're recording. I I mean, you're right. I, I don't want to call that attention. Well, I do. Um, and but, I will take all the flack. Okay. All Amelia right. Amelia doesn't. Um, I don't condone this. Yeah. So I I wanted to bring it to more philosophical to end because mm-hmm. that's always fun. So the yeah. spatial reasoning thing. So mm-hmm. like uh, one part of reasoning, which is unintuitive to me coming from like philosophical logic stuff where it's all formal and symbols or, mm-hmm. or linguistics. Yeah. But intuitive, if you're a math person, is like we can go, hmm, two triangles plus three triangles, and you imagine them as like shapes in your head. Oh, I can move them together, and that's five triangles. And that's like literally a spatial reasoning or like, a, like addition like in terms of moving piles together. Addition in terms of moving piles. Subtraction oh, in terms I of see. taking away from a tree. I thought when you said spatial reasoning, I thought you meant like manipulating a shape in your head, like puzzle pieces fitting together, like yeah. rotating something. Or. Okay. That's probably what people mean when they say spatial reasoning. Yeah. We can talk about that too. <laughs> that's interesting. And that is still mathy. Mm-hmm. I was doing le- less specifically geometric yeah. and more just like, A lot of our math concepts just come from, like, understanding rules of the world and imagining them in our head, I guess. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't wouldn't call that spatial reasoning, potentially. Reasoning with spatial knowledge or something. I mean, I actually feel like what you're stating seems to be a lot more general than that. I think this is sort of moving away entirely from any of the neuroscience concepts today. Because what you're saying is just kind of math is based on reality. Yes, Okay. I mean, that's a totally different topic, I think. Well, I think that, but the way our spatial understanding is formed, it also informs math. That's what's, um, like, uh, when you're you're doing math or when you talk to people who do math, they think there's two predominant positions. It's like math is handed down from the gods or God or whatever. Like, it's a very divine thing. Or it's that, oh, it's just a human invention. It's just just like we invented language. It's just another language. It's a formal la- It's a game. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's something that feels 
like, and I know there is neuroscience done on like where concepts of number come from and where these things are, and mm-hmm. I don't know much about that. I don't know, but either. yeah, just that uh, it's just something to think about is how, yes, like you said, it very simply math comes from reality, but also that reality has this spatial logic to it, and that we can parse that. Yeah, I mean, I, I will. I think it's a super interesting topic, and maybe we could do it for another episode. I, I do want to push back on your repeated use of the word spatial, because I don't think what you're referring to is fundamentally, like, spatial. Like, yes, it's spatial, but I don't think spatial is the characteristic about it, which is interesting. I think what you're talking about is just, like, the fact that we deeply cannot conceive of math, or maybe not cannot conceive, but we think of math in terms of reality. It is pretty much impossible for us to kind of imagine two things and three things coming together and it not being five things. And we can choose to create a mathematical system in in which that's not the case, but that's deeply unintuitive to us. We know what putting things together is. We know what subtracting things is. We know what functions are just processes that happen in the world. A transfer, like transformations happen. And so that's Mm -hmm. how we can think about transformations. Mm -hmm. Maybe... I mean, there are concepts in math that you would have a lot more trouble conceiving of. Yeah, but I, when it comes down to it, they can be reduced to some set theory or something. Right, yeah, but, like, I mean, I, I would posit that you can't yeah. really conceive of a limit or infinity. Right, that, that's when it comes to be more of a game. I mean, I think that you conceptualize infinity. Do you, I mean, what, what do you think of? Well, there's a lot of philosophy on this, which... Maybe I regret spending some of my life <laughs> reading, <laughs> but um, th- there's this idea where it, it's just a potential, and there's lots of the use of these words, which is kind of vague, like what even is a potential, but mm-hmm. it's like, I know that I could do this forever. Uh, yes, like, but I would, I would argue that's still, like, that's not conceiving of infinity, or mm-hmm. that's just the knowledge that it can exist, and those are different things. Um, maybe maybe conceiving of has too much like philosophical. No, I mean I think it it, it is conceiving of. It's just kind of in a roundabout way. I get what you mean. Like a computer, I, like you something with you finite things. You can't think of infinite the way you can think of three. Yeah, like there, there not. is a difference in what you are able to understand. It's there. just it's more if you change the definition of infinity to be more of a process. But also, what you're doing is still just, I I would argue, like, you're not actually thinking through that whole process. You can't be. It's infinite. Instead, what you're thinking of is, well, I know that this will just keep going. But that's kind of a meta thought. That's not actually conceiving of it keeping going. Um, Okay, what uh, what I'm saying is what the philosophers will do is I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, From a... If our brain is a computer, then a computer can't have an infinite I, I, amount of I'm not of making a it. neuroscience-y point here. I'm actually making more of a, like, phenomenological observation here. That, but, the, like, like you, they, these, the kind of people who would argue this say that a classical sense of infinity is flawed. Like, they might even agree with you that, of course, we can't conceptualize that. The infinity that they agree with is, like, uh, something that could be constructed, something that's realizable, something that in process, in theory, could go on. And that's what they call their infinity. I mean, sure. But I, I'm just saying maybe, I'm, maybe I shouldn't be using the terminology conceive of because I know that's very, like, loaded in philosophy. But, like, you can't actually imagine that. Like, you can know that I'm doing a process and it will continue forever. 
But you cannot imagine that in the same way that I can imagine picking something up. Definitely, you cannot or imagine Or a finite that. process. Yeah, I mean, there. I think there's ways that they get around it, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, okay. I mean, fair <laughs> enough. Um, where where was that going? How did that well, come we, about? Well, we can get off the math train and just go back to what spatial reasoning actually means, which is the, like, you know, I can imagine, not only do I have the place cells going on in the background, but I could imagine, like, what would my apartment look like if I rotated it 90 mm. degrees? And I know what that's like. So yeah. is that something totally separate? Then That's interesting. Um, I don't know. Because, you know, I get we have these models, but usually these are under the surface, you know? Like, you yeah. don't really feel the time passing by, but your brain knows, oh, it's been enough time that now I should trigger yeah. hunger or something. Well, I, and well or, that's not how hunger works, but... Um. <laughs> whatever. Uh, or you've, you know, your brain gets this... Um, unconscious understanding of space, but it, we can also do this conscious understanding and manipulation and reasoning with yeah, space. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I Maybe I'll look into if there has been anything on that, but I, I the one thing is that that's really difficult to study because there's no yeah. behavioral output besides someone saying, like, I promise I'm imagining this. Um, like, can you imagine our room that we're in right now stretched, like, 20 times high? Yeah. And, like, climbing yeah. up it with rubber Peg, things pegboard. that stick you. It's a pegboard. Pegboard. You can imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I can. Getting spaghettified. Right. I, I, I definitely think spatial imagination is a really interesting question. Yeah, I might, and that's might, just in might, such a... I yeah. mean, that's such a hard thing to get into because it's yeah. in, that, in that conceptual world, which is... It's really hard to study because, like yeah. I said, it, it's hard to record from humans. Oh, scientists. Um, they always need their data <laughs> and inputs and Yeah, I, I, that would be really cool, though. Like, if you could have... Um, kind of before and after of, like, somebody in a room versus after you told them to, like, imagine, like, kind of what you just told me. Mm-hmm. Like, would would there be a significant change in representation? That kind of question. Yeah. Um, maybe in, just maybe pump rats full of drugs until they start imagining some things, you know? <laughs> you just need the right drug. I mean, maybe. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah no, I, that's a really interesting question that I think is really hard to, to ask. Well... I don't know. Maybe someone's figured out something. are listening, get on this. You know, yeah. a lot of money to be made. Maybe a lot of prestige <laughs> to be had. Sort of. Yeah, definitely that. Um, we'll be impressed. We will be. Yeah. I mean, I I actually don't know of any. Like, I I would doubt right. that there's been research in this particular area as you're positing it, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was googling a little bit of this when I was in a cognitive models class. Like, I was looking for. I I wanted to do my paper on studies that have been done on learning math and mm-hmm. how neuroscience yeah. does that because uh, and, and I think some of them were looking at AI or whatever, but I'm not sure if there was geometry ones. That, yeah. that feels like something that psychologists would be interested though is like how do kids start grasping different objects and understand that like the triangle won't go in the circular hole. It'll go. Oh yeah. The... That, that I'm sure there's been some stuff on. I'm yeah. not familiar, but yeah. I'm sure there's been cool research on that. Cool. Well, as we say in my family, well. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Um, I don't think I had anything else to bring up. I feel like our our philosophy portion of this has gone a little all over the place, but I think it was really fun. Yeah, very fun. I yeah. think that's how these should go. Yeah. Uh, all well, right. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.